What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Tayshawn Rocare is the founder of Namebase, a secure and easy platform to interact with Handshake. In this episode, we talked about what is Handshake, why is it important, how the decentralized web is coming fast, and how Namebase empowers people to buy, sell, and hold Handbase while also buying and selling domains. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. But before we get into it, I want to talk about the sponsor for today's episode, Traveler. Traveler is the world's leading blockchain-based travel booking platform trusted by thousands of customers worldwide. Their value proposition is they've created a frictionless travel booking experience that incorporates next-generation blockchain technology and tokenized incentives. Travelug.com connects travelers with one of the world's largest selections of incredible places to stay, including everything from hotels, apartments, villas, and hostels to five-star luxury resorts. It was founded by a team of seasoned travel, fintech, and blockchain industry experts. Travelers.com's mission is to bring the travel industry as a whole transparent pricing, innovation, authentic truth, enhanced security, and efficient stakeholder interaction. Travelers.com's vision is to align travel booking with the ethos of decentralized technology. Head on over to Travela.com and book a place to stay tonight. Again, that's Travela.com, T-R-A-V-A-L-A.com. Now let's get into this episode with Tayshawn. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Tayshawn here. Uh, lots of stuff going on. Um, we invested in Namebase a while ago, uh, pre-Handshake, uh, Namebase launching, and uh, it's live. <laughs> yeah, it's on. <laughs> it, it, it is on. Game on. <laughs> um, but let's first talk about your background and kind of uh, what you did pre-crypto, and then we'll get into uh, into what's going on with the Handshake. Yeah, totally. Um, I have a bit of a non-traditional background. Uh, basically, I got my career started at a company called Teespring, which uh, was really big a while ago. It's still, it's still pretty big, actually, but their custom apparel selling platform was an engineer there uh, and actually left high school uh, to work there. Um, left high school? Left high school, yeah. <laughs> yeah, after sophomore year. <laughs> okay. You left high school after your sophomore year? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't share that before. No, yeah. I didn't know that. All right. What, what was the logic behind leaving high school as a sophomore? Yeah, so they were – it was it was pretty crazy because I'm from Boston, mm-hmm. but I, I'd emailed the CEO and I got an internship there for okay. the summer. And at the time, they were doing a million dollars in revenue every day. Yeah. So it was just blowing up like and a most rocket of that ship. was coming through Facebook, I think. Most right? of it through Facebook. Yeah. yeah. So it was just an insane amount of revenue and growth. Uh, and it was just like empowering people to be their own like entrepreneurs effectively. Uh, so I, I saw that opportunity as like I really wanted to work there and get the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it convinced my school let me take like a, a gap year effectively between my sophomore and junior <laughs> year. And then I worked at Teespring for that year uh, full time. What was the biggest takeaway? Yeah, I mean, biggest takeaway was that I can do something yeah. that I, I want to do that is uh, ambitious mm-hmm. and, and still be pretty good at it. It was pretty, uh, you know, it's pretty non-traditional. Kind of, some people kind of thought I was crazy. Like, they didn't think it was a good idea. And it ended up working out. So I think, uh, like, taking the bet on myself was something that I kind of internalized. That's uh, that's one of my favorite things to tell people is just bet on your fucking self, man. Yeah, like, totally. It, it, it's one of these things where when you bet on yourself, if you succeed, you win. If you bet on yourself and you fail, you can sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like the worst thing in the world would be to be in that situation, want to go do it, not do it, and then every night be worried about, you know, damn, should I have done it? And so uh, what, what year is this that you do? This was 2014. Okay, so 2014, I'm at Facebook. I'm running uh, the growth team oh, for nice. Facebook pages. Yeah. And Teespring was absolutely killing us because they were doing all <laughs> kinds of crazy shit on Facebook. And it was one of those things where, like, it's good because someone's super excited about Facebook, 
but they were also doing things. Uh, I think Teespring was the one who was taking people's last names. Yeah, right? yeah. That Facebook was, hated Teespring. That, yeah. that, was, that was huge at the time. So what uh, Teespring was doing, which was very smart, was they would basically run an ad, and in the ad, they would pull the user's last name and then insert that last name onto the T-shirt image and then put that in the ad all dynamically. So I would see like Pompliano Family Rocks T-shirt. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, that's a cool T-shirt, right? <laughs> the problem is that not everyone is dumb like me. And some people are like, hey, dude, that's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so Facebook was like, I think we had to like literally change the rules on the advertising system uh, to prevent using last names and all kinds of stuff. But Teespring was very, very innovative and cutting edge when it came to a lot of that stuff. Yeah, that was, uh, and it, it wasn't necessarily Teespring specifically. It was the uh, the entrepreneurs on Teespring. A lot of them were these like affiliate marketers, mm-hmm. and those guys were really creative in terms yeah. of what they uh, what they could do. Be- because the Teespring system, if I remember correctly, is uh, essentially allows me to come up with a design. Mm-hmm. Post the design. I don't have to touch T-shirts. I don't have to touch supply chain. I don't have to touch payment processing, anything. I can just put my design up, and then people can come in and buy it, and Teespring takes care of everything. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Super smart. Um, all right. So you do that. Uh, would you do it again? Uh, oh, yeah. 100%. Everything – I mean, everything really worked out. Um, so – I think in, in a, a parallel universe, things wouldn't have worked out. And like that that risk was uh, pretty capped in terms of what would happen. Uh, if I didn't like it, I would go back to school after that year. I'd be a year older, but yep. I would still go down, down the traditional path. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't have to do that because at the end of that gap year, I ended up starting, uh, starting a company with my uh, friend who was a, a Teal fellow at the time. Uh, and we got into Y Combinator. So What was the company? Uh, strong Intro. So okay. that was a recruiting startup. We basically helped tech companies grow their engineering team through employee referrals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably the best way to grow your early team. Um, and then we ended up getting into uh, what was – you might have remembered the YC Fellowship, which mm-hmm. was like a short experiment that they started. Uh, and we were in the first batch. We were actually the first company accepted into that. It was like uh, 20 out of 6,500 yep. uh, applic- applicants. And uh, from there, we got into the core Y Combinator program. Uh, and that's when I officially dropped out of school uh, to do that because, you know, people tried multiple years in a row to get yeah. into YC. It was like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. To me, YC is probably actually better than high school if you know that you want to go build companies, right? Like like that education that you get and kind of practical application is going to be much more applicable to your life than going and sitting in 11th grade math, yeah. right? Yeah. Like what – uh. I was talking to somebody recently, and uh, I, I was in like the uh, the basic classes, <laughs> but uh, somebody was like, "Yeah, like do you remember anything about trigonometry?" No, <laughs> yeah. right? Like maybe some algebra you remember, but uh, other than that, there's a lot of education that goes uh, that's kind of more generalized. And for people who don't know what they want to do, that's really valuable, right? But for people who know, hey, this is what I want to go do, something like a YC is probably actually more valuable to them, right? I, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get into. Uh, what you're doing today is all built on and around Handshake. Uh, but before we talk about Handshake, I want to talk about kind of the legacy website domains uh, and kind of technology stack. So walk us through how do these naming services work? How do DNSs work? Like how do you think about that infrastructure um, that currently is based in uh, the web that we know as today? Yeah, it's it's really fascinating, fascinating actually, because uh, DNS, the domain name system, it's infrastructure that powers the entire internet, right? Every time you type in Google.com, or facebook.com you're using dns uh but it's basically technology that was duct taped together uh and and barely works effectively um the reason why is because when it was started no one really assumed that the internet would get as big as it would get right there was that famous uh nobel prize winning economist who was like paul krugman yeah yeah there's that uh you know it'll never get that big it'll be like one company or whatever um but anyways and then it blew up so the internet DNS infrastructure has basically not scaled with the usage of the internet and the importance of it. The way it works today is uh, it's basically like a, a tree hierarchy. You have uh, TLDs in the root zone. Uh, TLDs are top-level domain names. So an example of that is .com, .org, .net. 
Uh, and then each of those TLDs are owned by an organization or an entity. Uh, Verisign, for example, owns .com. Um, and so so l- l- let's go real slow here because I think this is a really important part. So a TLD is a top-level domain that .com, .org, whatever, is actually owned by somebody. Yeah. Right? So Verisign, for example, is a private company? Yes. All right. So Verisign owns .com. And so they just, when they bought .com, or how did they come into ownership of .com? Yeah, it was kind of a weird situation, but they basically had ownership over .com. And then when I can try it, like there's there's some like controversy, and then they like sued them to like get the rights to it or whatever. Okay. Uh, so there's a lot of controversy, but basically there's a long history. But now they own .com, and they uh, basically are able to charge everyone who buys a domain name uh you know a few dollars uh like five ten dollars every year so the top level domain is the dot com dot org dot edu dot whatever right when i buy google.com facebook.com etc the google the facebook the you know whatever comes before the dot com what is that called yeah so that is a second level domain okay a second level domain yeah and those are uh and those are what you get to buy normally got it and so if I buy, let's say all of a sudden I found Google.com through one of these uh, uh, website um, you know, services that sell domain names, Am I, I could buy Google.com from Google, right? Kind of the person who currently owns the second level domain. Or if no one's ever owned it before, I would be buying it from VeriSign. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's actually an intermediary in front of VeriSign. Okay. So there's this uh, another uh, ecosystem participant called a registrar, okay. a domain registrar. And they're, uh, they basically work with VeriSign, and they're able to register uh, .com domains. Got um, it. And, and they, they, they pay VeriSign a cut, and then they usually charge uh, a little bit of margin on top of that. Okay. So when I'm buying through GoDaddy or one of these domain uh, services – I'm either buying from the person who currently owns it, who's another corporation, individual, whoever, or I'm buying it through a registrar who is basically acting for VeriSign and they're splitting the revenue from that yeah, sale. Yeah, exactly. And, and GoDaddy would be the registrar <clears throat> in that case. Okay. So as that system has worked for you know decades now, who comes up with more top-level domains? Right? Yeah. Like, so there's .com. Then there was like .co. Now you can pretty much buy all kinds of top-level domain or, or second-level domains for those top levels. Who comes up with those? So it's this uh, entity called the ICANN, and they uh, effectively assign the new TLDs, and they decide who gets which TLD. Uh, it was actually it used to be run by the U.S. government, and then they basically spun that out as like a nonprofit uh, because other countries were uncomfortable with the U.S. government having that much uh, yeah. power. Uh, but the I, I can is still a U.S.-based organization. They're based in L.A., um, and they decide who gets which TLDs. Got it. Uh, so I'm already seeing some issues here with uh, the registrars, ICANN, et cetera. I'm assuming that they have uh, pretty good oversight and governance over this system even after you've bought the second-level domain? Um yeah, yeah. There, there are basically there's like a, a significant number of rules that each of the uh, TLD owners have, and then the uh, TLD owners are able to basically extract pol- uh, enforce policies on the uh, domains that are sold, and they're able to revoke them or sh- seize them or shut them down. Uh, and then uh, ICANN as well has a, a lot of discretion in terms of how they manage the issuance of new TLDs mm-hmm. uh, and also existing TLDs. So, for example, the uh, ICANN recently lifted the price caps on .com domains. Like this happened just two days ago, and those uh, domains are now going to become seventy percent more expensive over the next decade. What, when you say a price cap, what does that mean? So uh, before there was a, a limit on how much Verisign could charge for each domain. Uh, and that was just removed. What was that limit? Do you know? I forget the exact. Like five, ten dollars, uh, or like a hundred dollars. It was. It's a. It's a percentage cap okay. on like how much you can increase the percentage price Got per it. year. Got it. Yeah. Um. All right. And so, in this system, when ICANN hands out the top level domains, how do they choose who gets to own the top level domain? That, yeah, that seems like a, a a situation ripe for either corruption or influence <laughs> or something. It's really funny you point that out because it, it is a, a corrupt system. Effectively. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like there's a nonprofit that's handing out a basically free product to yeah. somebody and that person could turn around and make a lot of money with it. And yeah. so I can imagine there's jockeying for who receives it. So there is this huge controversy recently because 
I can try to uh, sell .org, which is okay. Uh, you you know obviously one of very the popular most popular TLDs in the world, and they uh, basically sold it for a very cheap price to a private equity firm that was <laughs> that had no other participants in the auction. It was just a private deal with that private equity firm, and it was run by. Uh, the ex CEO of ICANN. So the private oh, equity, the private equity firm that bought it, yeah, is run by the ex CEO of ICANN. Yeah, we're strongly affiliated. It was partners of the ex CEO. So it basically just reeked of corruption. Uh, there was a huge uproar on the internet about it, uh, and it's still not settled. They still might be able to sell uh, .org to that private equity okay, firm. So, so let's say that worst case scenario, it's corruption. Best case scenario, it's favoritism. Right? Is that probably accurate? Yeah, but it's it's hard. It's a hard pitch to even frame it as favoritism. It's, okay, it's, why? It's pretty corrupt because the the entire deal, uh, basically, it was like everything was done behind closed doors. Uh, there was not a period for other bidders to come mm-hmm. in. Uh, it was just done with that one private equity firm as mm-hmm. a as a deal. So it's pretty hard to uh, even frame it as favoritism. And it's, I can previously owned dot org. Uh, they basically had to determine. Uh, it's a complicated situation, but they kind of help determine where it goes effectively. It. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, do you remember what the purchase price is? It was proposed? around like a billion or something. So, uh, for only a billion dollars, you could own .org. And every time somebody buys a .org domain, essentially, you're getting a, a cut of that transaction. Exactly. Yeah. I'm and assuming that they make more than a billion dollars a year doing that. The it's uh it's actually less than a billion dollars per year, but you you basically do the discounted yep. uh, cash, flow. cash flow. But the thing that they did not include in it was right before the private equity firm bought it, they got ICANN to lift the price caps on the dot uh, domain. So the valuation was based on the previous revenue, yeah, yeah. and then they lifted the price caps, and then they got it for a, an extreme discount, effectively. Got it. Uh, yeah, so- sounds uh pretty sketchy. Yeah. Um. All right. So. The old world, we understand. We all use it. Some of us understand the technical components. Some of us just have the user experience by typing in a a kind of human-readable URL. Um, And then Handshake comes along. Talk to me about what exactly is Handshake, kind of what are they trying to build, who's behind it, all Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, so Handshake is a new protocol that uh, is effectively putting these TLDs on a blockchain the easy way to think about it is uh, functionally, it's actually uh, very similar to Bitcoin. It's a proof of work based chains. Uh, it has uh, UTXOs uh, and all that. But instead of using the coins as money, you use the coins register names on the Handshake blockchain. And these names are TLDs. So anyone can register their own TLD on Handshake. It works through this uh, Vickery auction completely on chain. And the benefit of having this TLD on chain is that one, the entire uh, issuance process is decentralized, right? So you don't need an ICANN to determine who gets what. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just an open system. And the TLD being on chain makes it very, very difficult for these names to be seized or censors. Uh, It also makes the issuance very private. You don't need to go and uh, reveal your identity when you're buying these domains Mm -hmm. effectively. Um, And then it also improves, it provides a a set function improvement in the security. Uh, And that that I would have to get a little bit more into the technical details. Uh, But basically, when you type in like HTTPS into your browser, there's uh, an entire system that manages that. And that system is is not very secure today. And Handshake is effectively uh, providing a more secure system for this. Okay, so Handshake has rebuilt the domain system that is going to be based on a blockchain. And that domain system has a couple of key differences, right? And you just named some of them. So one of them is uh, now there's a decentralized um, kind of assignment process. So uh, ICANN can't go to the ex-CEO of ICANN and say, hey, you get .org, yeah. right? Um, and that decentralized process really is this Vickery auction, right? Um, and as I've learned more about this, what's interesting to me is that rather than say, hey, Handshake's launching, which it just did, uh, here's every single name that could possibly be available. What they're doing is they're essentially just releasing a uh, kind of infrequently a couple at a time, right? And so uh, you may, like, let's say for me, if I want, uh, you know, dot, um, I don't know, dot Bitcoin, right? I can't just go today and buy it. I've got to wait for .bitcoin as the top-level domain on Handshake become available, but that may not happen for months or, or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. So Handshake uh, basically learned from predecessors and previous naming attempts, 
And there are a few key differences that uh, basically helped me build conviction that Handshake could succeed. One is it's not replacing the entire DNS system. It's just replacing the root zone. So just the hierarchy at the top. Mm -hmm. Everything else is actually pretty decentralized already. But basically, it's it's very focused in terms of what it's trying to improve. Uh, And then the other issue is, you know, early adopters getting to bid on all the good names in previous attempts and, you know, basically squatting on an every good name. So the names are rolled out over the course of 52 weeks. Uh, any name is available for bidding and will be available for bidding at some point over the 52 weeks. But if you come on day one, you only have, you know, one over 52 uh, of that entire namespace. Got it. Okay. And so uh, in this auction process, let's say that dot Bitcoin name uh, in week 14 becomes available, right? I'm making this up. But in week 14, you and I both want it. We essentially are going into a system. We'll get to what those systems can be. Um, and we're going to bid a monetary amount to get it whoever has the highest bid wins uh yes exactly got it and so this is a pretty good way to do price discovery yes right yeah and then remind me a victory auction is basically i put a here's the most amount of money i'm willing to pay and every other participant does that and then I, if I'm the winning bid, I just pay one dollar more than the last the second highest bid uh you just pay exactly the second highest bid Okay, so yeah. I would so let's say I say I'm willing to pay ten thousand dollars for dot Bitcoin. Everyone else is less than ten thousand. The second highest bid was nine thousand five hundred. I pay nine thousand five hundred because I was willing to pay more, but I just have to pay what exactly? Yeah, got it. Very interesting. Um, okay, so why exactly does the DNS need a blockchain? Right, yeah. as kind of you think about what Handshake's built, like why is a blockchain necessary? That's a great question. And there's a few reasons why blockchain is helpful in this case. Uh, honestly, when you're talking with developers, and those are probably the people that you really most strongly need to convince with something as technical as Handshake, the key reason is actually uh, security. So blockchains, uh, at least today, are like pretty inefficient. They're difficult to use. There's a lot of uh, negatives when it comes to using them uh, when it, like in, in comparison to a normal database. Mm-hmm. But the thing that they're really good at is uh, basically trust. Right, they are trust minimizing, and in systems where you don't want to have a single entity in control of that trust, they're really good at solving that. So, in the traditional system, the way that security is done, the TLS, which determines HTTPS, uh, basically that system is managed uh, by this group of entities called a certificate authority. So, these certificate authorities basically determine um, the security of the internet today, and Hand, those certificate authorities are very vulnerable to hacking uh, and they can be compromised very easily because the, the way it works is that when you visit a website uh, which with HTTPS, if any one of the certificate authorities that are involved in that system gets compromised, and there are, there are thousands of them, then your internet traffic is compromised. So it's like a one of many failure system. And instead, what Handshake is saying is instead of using these certificate authorities, let's shift the trust to this distributed blockchain. And instead of this like one of many system, you need the entire blockchain to be basically be compromised in order for the security to be compromised. So that is the key insight for Handshake of why it's providing a step function improvement in the security. It's shifting the root of trust from a certificate authority based system to a distributed ledger that is uh, basically backed by the blockchain. Got it. And, and so do I... Sh- prove my ownership of the root domain or kind of top level mm-hmm. domain like how does that work yeah so it basically works like owning uh, bitcoin you have a private key mm-hmm. in a wallet and as long as you control the private key for that domain you own that domain and only you can uh, up- update the records or move it or do anything with it so you know outside of security there are additional benefits that come from being on the blockchain which is that you can truly own your domain name you know most people don't realize that they're only renting domain names when they buy them today so you're you're effectively only a renter you're not an owner and with and that's why you have to keep paying on an annual basis exactly got it with handshake you can truly own your domain name mm-hmm. and no one can seize that from you. And also for the end users that are trying to resolve it, right? You're trying to type in Google.com. Google.com doesn't work in every jurisdiction. It's, it's very easy to uh, basically uh, do DNS censorship. China. Yeah, yep. exactly. And Handshake just makes that uh, significantly more difficult to censor. So you by being on the blockchain, you get this sense of true ownership. You get the privacy, but you also get access because now end users anywhere around the world can access uh, your name effectively. Got it. And so... 
part of this system that's interesting to me is if I can now be that private equity firm that owns .org or I can own .com or .bitcoin or whatever, uh, and I truly own it, can I sell you as somebody else a second level domain? So like, could if I own .bitcoin, could I then turn around on handshake and sell somebody else like pomp.bitcoin or tayshawn.bitcoin, et cetera? Yeah, you totally can. Got it. And so really by getting a top level domain, I could essentially be getting a business, right? Where I'm, I'm able to kind of cut up the second level domains and then sell those off as uh, individual assets to people who want to use those. Do they own the second level domain or are they just renting the second level domain? Yeah, so in that system, it actually depends on how you construct it. Okay. Uh, there's a world in which you even create a, a side chain effectively on top of your uh, top level domain that you own. And that can be its own completely decentralized system. Because this is all managed on a blockchain, you can mm-hmm. you know, uh, basically write technology that makes it very decentralized. Uh, or you can go the traditional route where you say, okay, I own .bitcoin or let's say I own you know, .pomp and I want to sell all these uh, second level domains. Uh, and there's like a... Uh, basically a system that you can plug into that makes that very easy and you can go and sell those domains so you can run that own business and what we've seen is that um you know there are other companies uh in the space that are selling these uh you know specific extensions for those domains and they're they're doing very well so effectively what handshake enables is anyone can build their own business like that uh, Mm -hmm. and start start selling these domains how long ago did handshake launch a week ago a week ago uh, and there's rap song a week ago, a week ago. Um, <laughs> uh, what's the highest price someone's paid for a uh, top level domain so far? Yeah, so we've yet to see that because right now we're still in the mining period of Handshake. Uh, basically, they uh, the the network has a limit on transactions for the first two weeks okay. to allow for a sufficient mining capacity to come on to Handshake. Got it. Uh, and, and right now it's great because there's significant like interest in Handshake. Mm-hmm. So I think the current mining rate is something like 15 like terra uh terra hashes hash probably yeah, yeah. Um, uh, i know coin mine um uh, which people know uh i'm quite uh quite fond of an investor uh they actually enabled i think they were, they were one of the first ones they enabled their consumer devices to mine uh handshake yeah uh, right on day one exactly yeah they support it as yeah. well uh so basically after this two-week period then the registrations open up and that's when you can start uh, bidding on these domain names. And so what we have for all of, of our users is they've already started adding these names to their watch list so that they mm-hmm. get notified and they can automatically go and bid. Uh, so there's a lot of excitement there. All right. You're not part of the name uh, of the Handshake business, right? You're not on their engineering team. You're building a completely separate company called Namebase. Uh, what does that do? Yeah, totally. So Namebase is... I, I know the answer just so everyone's clear. Yeah. We, we are investors. Uh, I'm just leading him. It's actually the first time I'm explaining the business to Anthony. I just invested blindly. Um, yeah, so basically Namebase is... Uh, what we do is we built a domain registrar on top of Handshake and an on-ramp for Handshake. So in order to participate in these auctions, you need to use HNS to do it. And, and, the that's, actual, the, and that's the Handshake token? That's the Handshake token. Okay. And... The actual process is is kind of difficult to do. It's it's kind of annoying. You have to be a developer. So what we realized is we saw the potential of this technology. We want to make it spread as fast as possible to as many people as possible. So we built tools to make it easier to use. Mm-hmm. So we have an on-ramp so you can come on to Namebase and buy HNS uh, anywhere around the world. And you can use that HNS in Namebase to bid on any of these domain names. So we have a GUI that makes it really easy. Uh, an easy way to think about Namebase conceptually is we're kind of like a combination of GoDaddy and Coinbase. Got it. So uh, right now, if I want to buy HNS, which is the handshake token, and I need HNS to buy a top level domain, are you guys the only place I can get it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the only place I can get it right now is on Namebase. Once I get HNS after this two week kind of waiting period for the mining capacity to come online, then I can actually go buy .bitcoin or whatever d- top level domains are available. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I would also note that uh, the way that we enabled that. Uh, right now, we're the only liquid exchange for HNS. and uh, Is basically we we were aware of this two-week uh, mining only period, and so we partnered with uh, miners actually, uh, mining pools, so that they mine directly into uh, Namebase, and so we're able to sell that HNS now, uh, even when it's Got not it. available anywhere else. Got it. And so, 
if I buy that uh, top-level domain .bitcoin, can I then turn around and sell my second-level domains to other people through Namebase, or will I have to go somewhere else? Yeah, you will uh, eventually be able to do that. Right now, uh, that infrastructure hasn't been built out. Got it. Okay. Um, and so what does this become, right? Like, when I think about uh, kind of the web infrastructure, it makes a ton of sense um, to uh, have domains that are hard to censor, that are hard to take down, et cetera. Um, and uh, there's a number of people working on this, right? Handshake and name base. There's uh, unstoppable domains, et cetera. Um, what is kind of the end game here? Do we replace the entire internet with these um, kind of decentralized uh, domain systems or is there kind of coexistence? Like, how, how do you think about that? Yeah, the way that I see this adoption happening happening is uh, there there is a sense of coexistence. Basically, what, ha- what I expect is that Handshake is going to eat TLDs. Okay. Handshake is going to be how new TLDs get issued. Uh, pretty much everyone in the world is going to be on it eventually. Uh, even if you talk to existing uh, DNS people, um, they, they kind of see the potential here just because it's, it's very hard to solve the problems that Handshake solves without a blockchain-based technology. Uh, so even if it's not Handshake, eventually there will be a block- blockchain-based tool that does this. However, there is a significant amount of DNS infrastructure that's already built out that the world relies on. uh, And it is uh, infeasible to just completely replace all of that. Mm -hmm. So that is why Handshake is just replacing the root zone, which is where most of the problems are. So you you get 90% of the benefit by just replacing that with a blockchain. And all the second-level TLD uh, domains and that normal issuance and governance process, that can happen uh, as normal. That just plugs into Handshake. So what I expect is that Handshake is going to eat that, but then everything else, all this existing infrastructure, because we have path dependency, it's going to keep on being there, right? It's like why the New York subway is, is still not super fast, even though Tokyo and China have a lot faster subway systems. So that existing infrastructure is going to stay there, but Handshake is going to replace the top-level uh, root zone. Got it. Um, and then what's the user experience like if I want to go to one of these websites, right? So uh, somebody's bought a top level domain, they've actually set it up, etc. Can I just go to my Google Chrome and type in something to navigate there? Or do I need to have some kind of special browser? Like, like what's that user experience look like? Yeah, so there are multiple different ways to use Handshake. Uh, but effectively, there's and it's also dependent on uh, your trust profile. Right, whether you want to use a third-party tool or just run your own, right, kind of like running a full node. Mm-hmm. So effectively, what you can do is there are third-party resolvers, uh, and we're partnering with a few companies uh, to make this really easy uh, that you can just use, and and it's effectively similar to using uh, Cloudflare's one point one point one point one or Google's eight point eight point eight point eight. Whoa, what are those? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cloudflare, Cloudflare one point one point one. One point one point one point one. So, so four ones? Four ones. Four All ones. Right, what is that? Uh, and four eights. So basically, these are uh, DNS resolvers that okay. uh, Cloudflare and Google respectively run. And what they do is uh, basically they just make your their, your, in, your DNS resolution a little bit faster and more private. Uh, and also, it's a little bit more censorship resistant because they unlock access to certain domains that are blocked in certain countries. So these two resolvers already have hundreds of millions of users. Mm-hmm. And so this is an existing behavior that people have, which is you just point your DNS to a new resolver. It takes like five seconds in your computer, mm-hmm. or you can do it in your router, uh, and then you're done, and then you're using that. So Handshake is the same way. Handshake, you just point your DNS to a Handshake resolver, and then you're able to resolve these Handshake names in any computer that you use. Any browser, any computer, et cetera, as long as I've pointed what you said, my my router or, or, or your computer or my computer yeah. to the Handshake resolver. Can I have multiple resolvers that my computer's pointed to? Uh, yeah, yeah, you can. Like, can I can I use the regular internet and also? go through this resolver at the same time and like yeah. have multiple tabs open and go back and forth? That's a great question. So Handshake is actually completely compatible with the existing internet. So mm-hmm. that's that's one of the things that gave us conviction is because, you know, if you're trying to go and replace the entire internet with this blockchain-based system and it's like a whole new system, mm-hmm. uh, that's basically going to, yeah, I have, I have very little conviction that such a system like that would be able to uh, succeed. Um, what Handshake did is they're compatible with the existing system. So all the normal domains that you would access, google.com, facebook.com, segment.io, all those things, they will work as normal. The existing TLDs are all functional on Handshake. It's just that the new TLDs that are registered through Handshake are going to be resolved 
through Handshake. So when you're using a Handshake compatible resolver, uh, your internet experience is basically only improved because everything else works as normal and you just get, get access to this new namespace effectively. Got it. Um, what do you think is the reason why this couldn't work, right? You know, obviously you're bullish, I'm bullish. Uh, what are the reasons or the biggest threats to it not working? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And I, and I think the easiest way to identify these issues is to look at uh, what issues have played previous attempts. Mm -hmm. So first of all, you can't have any component of the system be centralized. It's kind of similar to, um, you know, the... Uh, Bitcoin predecessors, right? How they always had a central entity that effectively was shut down by the government, and so they never took off. And then Bitcoin basically decentralized everything, and then it, you know, is eating up the world. Um, same thing with Handshake. So there have been alternative root zone attempts in the past, and their only value add is that they're just like adding a new namespace, mm -hmm. and that is not sufficient to basically uh, unseat the network effects of the existing system. So. That is the first component. It needs to be fully decentralized. The other thing is that the issuance of the names is incredibly important to get right. You don't want a system where the early adopters and whales are able to buy up all the good names. Because mm -hmm. what you end up getting is if when that happens, and, and that has happened in, in previous naming attempts, is that someone comes in you know, eight months from now, they are interested in the system, they see none of the good names are available, but also that system has not you know, basically taking the world by stride yet. And so why would you ever invest in that system and buy into it if you don't get access to the good names mm -hmm. and it's not even that valuable yet? Mm -hmm. So you really want to prevent these early whales from being able, able to squat all the good names. You want to people, allow people who come in a little bit later to still adopt it and get benefit from it. It's like digital real estate, right? You want some of the good real estate to be reserved. So what Handshake did is they created many mechanisms that effectively help prevent early adopters and whales from getting all the good names. You still get an advantage. Uh, that's inherent uh, in like a naming system, mm -hmm. but it's not such an advantage that it's going to kill the system. Uh, so that's that's basically what we're... Uh, those are the mechanisms that Handshake has uh, created to help mitigate failure. Uh, but, you know, we still haven't seen it work out yet, right? It's, you know, Handshake, the name registrations haven't even launched yet. Uh, so there is a world, if, if anything were to happen, I would see that mechanism not being as effective as we thought it would. Mm -hmm. uh, that could be a potential cause uh, for failure. Got it. And so as you think through this, um, who are the people who are coming in first and, and interested? Is it the people who are traditionally squatting on domains and, and used to uh, kind of benefiting from understanding the system? Yeah, the shocking thing for me is how diverse the initial set of community members is. So uh, some of our earliest adopters, people have, who have been in our private beta for a while, because uh, we were built on the Handshake testnet before, uh, they're just crypto enthusiasts who are uh, basically true believers. They kind of see what's wrong with the internet. Uh, they want to improve it, and they're just super interested in it. And so it's, it's interesting there because they're not only motivated financially, right? They're going to speculate on the coins and the names and all that, but they also believe in the tr potential. And I think that's like the the true power of crypto, right? You have this uh, effectively a political or a philosophical cause, and you can pair it with an economic opportunity. And the combination of that is incredibly powerful. So we have those people. We also have just normal speculators. We have miners, but we. We also have uh, actual normal domainers as well. So there is, uh, for example, one of our community members, Park.io. They're a very popular domain registration site. Uh, they basically let you just like order .io domains mm -hmm. uh, ahead of time, um, and they're they're also in our community. So we have uh, existing domain brokers, domainers, uh, developers as well. And there's a few partnerships that we're doing with people uh, who are are pretty big in the, the developer community uh, that we're going to be launching live pretty soon. Uh, so it, it's very varied, but uh, pretty much everyone in the ecosystem who can be interested is already interested, which is uh, super cool to see from my end. For sure. Um, who's the team behind Handshake? Because it's a pretty, pretty impressive team, if I remember correctly, right? They, yeah. they previously did something with the internet. So it's... Uh, wait, hold on. That sounds really ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they did something with the internet, but they, they worked on like core infrastructure components of the internet, right? Um, yeah, they're pretty involved with uh, Bitcoin early on. So it's Handshake in general is a, a at this point is a very decentralized community. So okay. uh, there originally was a Handshake Foundation that was put up, and they actually raised uh, ten point two million dollars from Andreessen Horowitz Founders Fund, Sequoia, Greylock, pretty much every investor in Silicon Valley, and they ended up uh, donating all that money away uh, to nonprofits and uh, open source uh, developers. <laughs> 
That's the most Silicon Valley thing I've ever heard. Yeah. They raised money for their foundation, uh, but people didn't get equity in anything, and then they turned around and gave the money and donated it all. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, those investors got uh, tokens uh, okay. and the pre-sale, but then they, they literally didn't even use the, the money to develop it. Uh, and then the the people behind that, uh, you know, some of the people involved were like Purse.io, Joseph Poon, who made Lightning Network. Um, and there's another Andrew Lee who made private internet access, uh, but they were basically only involved in the inception of it. Uh, they kind of kicked things off. And then now there's uh, pretty much multiple ecosystem participants that are all involved in Handshake. Um, there's us, there's another team uh, called Urkel, um, and there's there's multiple developers. There's a developer community as well that's mm-hmm. that's basically not them. Um, and what we've what basically we've seen is that the Handshake Foundation at this point is completely uh, stepping aside. They basically just launched it and they're letting it out into the world. Uh, if you go onto the handshake.org website, you'll see they even say um, everyone is a director of Handshake. Like literally, mm-hmm. you can be a director of Handshake. You just have to say you're a director of Handshake. It's not mm-hmm. owned by anyone. There's no creator of Handshake. So if anyone says they're a creator, you know they're just lying. It's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much it's, it's a very decentralized community that it's, it's community driven at this point. Got it. And so when you think through this, like what keeps those developers building on Handshake? Because the way I think about this is name bases business is to facilitate the buying and selling of HNS and then the uh, actual top level domains. Uh, and then eventually it'll be the second level domains, et cetera. But you guys are dependent on those developers staying in the community, building this and, and kind of furthering uh, what's being built. Like, how do you think about what that incentive looks like? Yeah, there's a few different incentives at play here. One is that there's this really amazing airdrop mechanism that Handshake built in. They basically recognize that for this thing, kind of thing to succeed, you always need the developers. And so what they did was basically there's a, a fully decentralized airdrop where um, the top 250,000 developers uh, on GitHub uh, are effectively eligible for this airdrop. And they can claim uh, around 4,000 HNS. And so that gives the developers an economic incentive. Uh, it's, and honestly, for developers, like usually they're like pretty well off and they're not that motivated by money. So really, it's uh, an easy way for them to play around with the protocol. Uh, and usually with the, the the way that new technologies are adopted is like you have developers playing around with it on the weekend and then it like becomes their like full-time thing and they're like super interested and it becomes like the thing that everyone uses. Uh, same thing with Bitcoin, right? It's like developers playing around with it on the weekend, Ethereum developers playing around with it on the weekend and now it's like everywhere. So there is this decentralized airdrop that gives developers some skin in the game. Uh, and then the other reason is that there, there are a lot of developers who are, if, if you know about DNS, if you're familiar with how the domain name system works uh, as a developer, you're pretty much going to be not happy with how mm-hmm. it works effectively. So we get a lot of people who are just like, oh, this is a way for us. This is like a, an, an incredible improvement over the existing system. And it's a way for us to just like unseat ICANN or unseat these bad actors that currently control the internet uh, and and effectively plague it. Uh, they collect rent on everyone in the world. So there's a lot of interest just from that. And I, and I think that's probably the, the main driving reason for developers being interested uh, because typically developers are more uh, philosophically you know that that is they're more philosophically driven than mm-hmm. anything else right it's like the entire open source movement like yeah. why would you contribute all your free time on building this like you know writing free software that anyone can use uh it's because they developers just believe in it and, you know they have a cause they want to create something for the world uh so that's really the driving motivation for a lot of these people why are you working on this yeah so uh for me it was is a kind of an interesting backstory. You know, I grew up in the U.S. here, so we don't really have too many issues with censorship yet. Uh, it's, it's gotten worse over time, but you know, compared to the rest of the world, it's a significant improvement. So I never really seen too much of this problem firsthand. Uh, however, uh, when I went to MIT, uh, that's where I studied after. Uh, Starting they, they the let company. people into MIT who didn't go to high school, who didn't finish high school. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got pretty yeah. lucky. <laughs> yeah, how's that work? Uh, you just apply. <laughs> Maybe I should apply. Yeah, they, they'll let me in their undergrad program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there are like sixty-year-olds at MIT undergrad. So really, yeah, it's, it's did fascinating. they already get an undergrad degree somewhere else? Um, sometimes it varies. Like they're really like one of my uh, friends. He was this guy from Canada who uh, he like never finished high school and he was like a car mechanic for like six years and he was like 28 and then he uh went to mit after he like applied and got in so huh. uh i think if you're interested in your uh, like technologically interested as well yeah. uh, that's probably a good I, fit. I would be dumb enough to just apply get in and then drop out the first day and say oh, i dropped out of mit yeah you do that you should do that <laughs> i'm sure there's some people who do it uh-huh. uh, uh, but right. you so anyways when i was there um you know one of the first things that i did 
uh, after one of the semesters was I went and traveled to Turkey. Uh, my old roommate was uh, Turkish, so I got to travel with him. And the thing that struck me was not the cultural differences, because I was actually kind of used to that with my my roommate. Um, it was when I tried to visit a few like normal websites like Facebook or Twitter, uh, it was blocked. Uh, I couldn't access it. I got this like blue screen, like, you know, seized by the Turkish government or whatever. And it was shocking to me because, you know, I had grown up on YouTube and Twitter. Mm -hmm. I learned how to program on YouTube. So I wouldn't even have gone a, a job in the first mm -hmm. place if I had never had access to those resources. And I basically realized that none of those people in Turkey have access to this, uh, or it's very, very difficult for them to get access. You have to mm -hmm. you know, jump through a lot of hoops to basically avoid the censorship that they have. Uh, that's one of the reasons why you know, Cloudflare and Google's resolvers are, are popular actually um, in Turkey. So I, I saw that problem, but I also kind of didn't do anything about it. I was like, I'm an American, like this isn't affecting me. What can I do as an individual? Uh, and so I didn't actually take action at that time. Uh, I just continued my trip and then I went back to school and I, I didn't really think about it. Uh, but over the next you know, few years, over the last few years, what we've seen is that the security and sovereignty on the internet is getting worse and worse. Uh, effectively, you know, I grew up on an internet that was very democratic, right? Any website in the world you can access, there's no borders effectively. Mm -hmm. And now what we're seeing is that the internet is starting to create its own borders uh, and they're, they're physical borders, right? It's like China has their own version of the internet. It's pretty closed off and they're now exporting that to other countries. Mm -hmm. Russia is effectively creating their own internet as well. So what we're starting to see is this uh, crazy trend where the internet is becoming more siloed over time. Uh, and you're starting to see this uh, insane amount of censorship um, you know, in India, they're censoring a lot of regions right now. Uh, Spain, they censored uh, .cat, which is the Catalonian government's uh, TLD, when they're trying to hold like a, a referendum for mm -hmm. uh, in independence. So it's gotten worse over time and has gotten more frequent. Um, when I came across Handshake, I basically saw the potential because I'm a uh, engineer. Um, I could, you know, I was I was familiar with some of the concepts that Handshake was trying to improve upon. So when I saw that, I basically realized like, oh shoot, like this technology is something that can actually create a set function improvement in how the internet works. And it would create an internet that is uh, global and democratic again. Anyone anywhere, anywhere around the world can resolve these names, which is something that is uh, very difficult to do today. Uh, and so I saw the potential that for that, and I wanted to make a difference there. Uh, and so that's why I wanted to build uh, Namebase. Effectively, it's, it's tooling and infrastructure that makes Handshake easier to use so that the adoption can spread. So one of the things that's really interesting to me, uh, and I don't know how this would work, but let's take right now in China, for example, uh, coronavirus is a, a huge topic. And um, there's been numerous examples of people who either one have tried to raise concerns uh, and, um, you know, there's the doctor who got sick and ended up passing away. Uh, there's I've recently read a story about a gentleman who he went into a cities in China uh, and basically was a reporter. He was like a citizen's reporter and he was sharing videos and all stuff. And then all of a sudden uh, he's disappeared. Um, and then you get people on the ground who are taking videos and stuff. And um, I, I saw a video on Twitter, uh, I think it was yesterday, um, that again, I, I don't know how uh, valid it was, or uh, but in the video, what was depicted is basically they were visiting a woman and saying, hey, you have to take down the thing you posted on social media, right, or you're going to get in trouble, essentially. Um, and so what that brings to is like, there's this separation right now. And I think the coronavirus scare uh, and, and uh, kind of uh, issue really highlights like people outside of China don't know what's going on there. Right. And people inside of China normally don't know what's going on outside the U.S. Right. So it's kind of like we're now experiencing a little bit of what uh, they experience on a daily basis. But I'm wondering if somebody in China could if they got their hands on a top level domain on the Handshake platform, could they basically set up a website and use that website to publish information, et cetera. And then now people outside the US or outside of China and inside of China could all access that website. Uh, mm -hmm. And now that quote unquote source of truth of what's going on inside of China would be available for anyone in the world to see, or there's still things with like the great firewall, et cetera, that could prevent that from happening. Yeah, there's actually a, a spectrum, uh, but okay. effectively that is the first step that you would have to having a website that can't be shut down by the great firewall. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually what would probably end up happening is um, basically there's ar there's this arbitrage period always because governments are kind of late to adopt technology uh, where just using Handshake alone with the normal internet is, is sufficient. Uh, but Handshake is solving a very specific layer of the existing internet infrastructure. There's also like the storage layer in resolving. So uh, 
you know, the great firewall, they do like IP based filtering. They, they even do like packet filtering. So like they're, they're censoring you based on like that, literally the data that's that you're sending out. Um, so there is potential that they would be able to do something like that. But when you pair handshake with the, as like a primitive with something like, Sia coin or IPFS or Filecoin, uh, then you have something that's that's very, very difficult to censor. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, Handshake would be able to do that now. Uh, and then basically it's, it's always a cat and mouse game. So probably what you would see is, uh, you know, a few years from now, you wouldn't just use Handshake alone. You would use Handshake with like this decentralized with storage stack. layer. With the yeah. whole stack. Effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's really great that you brought that up. There's actually a Ben Thompson article about this okay. recently. You might, you might, you probably like a reading. I'll send it to you after. Uh, but effectively, they t- uh, he talks about this is probably one of the the strongest examples of why censorship matters, uh, and is really easy to explain to anyone in the world right now. Uh, normally, censorship. Oh, he, he wrote an article specifically about coronavirus. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. I would love to read that. Yeah. And uh, effectively, what happened was uh, the doctors in China they knew about coronavirus uh, early. Like mm-hmm. they uh, reported, they they basically saw a ton of patients start coming in with SARS like symptoms. Mm-hmm. And they're like, there's this like new thing going on. They're really concerned about it. They started talking to other doctors about it. And it was this like phenomenon where they saw like this was becoming an issue. And this but, is, if I remember correctly in the news, they've said like as early as like November, or December yeah. last year. I mean, we're talking, you know, three, four months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So they knew about it and they started to raise the alarm bells. And then the uh, local jurisdictions and the governments were like, Shut everything's up. yeah they're like shut up everything's under control there are only like 49 patients that have this and like the doctors they saw there's like literally hundreds there are hundreds of these patients coming in they're like mm-hmm. there's only 49 patients and their symptoms are calm uh and then the initial doctors who were spreading this news they were um punished uh the, the, their punishment was like publicized too like everywhere uh it was in the newspapers it was like these doctors have been reprimanded and they were spreading false news and don't listen to them uh and Basically, what wow. you saw, yeah, it's crazy. And what you saw was every other doctor who was aware of this problem now uh, was silenced, right? They didn't have the the conviction. They didn't really have the ability to go and share this because they knew that they would also be silenced. Uh, and they would, you know, their families were at risk and all this. And so they didn't speak about it. And the consequence of that censorship is now coronavirus is spreading to the rest of the world. And, the, and it's getting worse and worse. Um, and it's, it's only because of the top level down censorship, right? The individual doctors, they want to share this and they were sounding the alarm bells. Uh, but the you know governance layer at the top is what is preventing it. Uh, and, I, and I think if you tie that back into Handshake, that's really what Handshake is doing is it's trying to create an internet that's not controlled by governments or organizations at the top of the hierarchy. It's letting the internet be controlled and, and literally owned by individuals. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that we've never had on the internet before. So I'm looking up right now what the... Uh... The coronavirus death toll has surpassed 1,000 people in mainland China. Yeah, and that's probably a, a very underreported. Uh, that's probably like yeah, uh, it's reported underreported 30, by like 30, 10x. 35 minutes ago uh, is when that was written, and so if that's uh, even remotely accurate, it's a big number, and I think a lot of people are saying it's going to be underreported number. Yeah, um, which is uh, pr- pretty damn sad to be honest. Um, yeah, so I, I, I guess. As you look at this, like, what are the next steps here? So Handshake, we've got the two weeks where we're going to get out um, kind of with the mining capacity, make sure that that's working. Uh, people will begin to come in. Um, the first domains that become available as top-level domains, those are going to be the less desirable ones, the more desirable, a mix. Um, it's, it's, it's actually pretty much equally desirable. Okay. Uh, basically, uh, without getting too much into the weeds, you, you take any name that you want to bid on and you uh, hash it to a number. And you take the modulus 52 of that, and that determines which week it is available. So basically, uh, it's completely random, uh, effectively. And each week, there's a new set of names that's available, and they're all like pretty good each week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not like a specific set. It's like any name that you can think of, you can go and bid on. Uh, it's just at some point along those 52 weeks. Mm-hmm. So even in this first week, I think like .coin is available. I'm pretty sure that one's going to be pretty popular. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few other ones. How, how many names become available each week? uh it's like a thousand oh no no it's like uh a hundred so there's like 63 characters i think that you can use in a domain name so um and i was like 26 to the 63 like the namespace is massive Mm -hmm. uh it basically one like two percent effectively of any name that you can any of of the names that you can think of are going to be available uh each week it's not like a specific thousands yeah million millions Millions. Yeah. yeah yeah wow um, and so what happens to the ones that nobody buys? 
Yeah, so those are just uh, unregistered. So basically what happens is uh, until you uh, start the auction process and you have to submit a specific transaction to start it, um, that name is just sitting there. And then when you mm -hmm. start it, then other people can go and anyone can start the auction. Oh, uh, I got it. So just because it's available doesn't mean that it started the actual auction. The first time somebody bids on it, then there's an auction process that starts. And how long does that auction last for? Yeah, the auction lasts for five days. And then there's like a 10-day reveal period. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a blinded auction. Um, there's some intricacies to mm -hmm. it. We, we make it easier on the name-based side. But basically, you, just, you have a blind auction. And then there's a 10-day reveal period where uh, all the participants reveal their true auction bids. Mm -hmm. uh, and the owner the winner can claim their name after that period. So the, the entire process runs about two weeks. Got it. Yeah. What name do you want? Yeah, I want, uh, I just want my, my name, Tiashan. <laughs> dot Tiashan. Yeah, dot Tiashan. Yeah. And also dot Regeer, my last name. Um, yeah, yeah. I That's try to cool. get, yeah, I try to get Tiashan.com on the normal internet and there's like a Chinese company that owns it. I'm half Chinese. Um, Is, I want dot Regeer for my family. company or? Yeah, it's like the name of their company. Uh -oh. Yeah. So it's just like, they uh, a big they got company? It. I don't think so. Yeah, there's a world in which I can get that eventually. Yeah, yeah. Just, just tell them that uh, that you'll uh, you'll help them out with something. Yeah, right? totally. <laughs> I think the best, um, you know, a lot of the people who are interested, you, there's this like a new namespace, and there's already a lot of excitement around it. So you can kind of see like it's kind of like the people who kind of got into domain name, uh, mm -hmm. domain names early on, right? Like they bought like you know, air, airplane.com or airport.com and they sold for like millions of dollars a few years later. So people are kind There's of- a speculating uh, component to it. Yeah, there is. And, and people kind of see that potential now, right? It's like, okay, the first time I might've missed it, but now there's like a new namespace and there's like people that are very excited. It's like the crypto.com era effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a lot of people are trying to get in, in early and reserve their personal name uh, early, right? When it's, mm -hmm. when it's still a little bit easier than it will be even six months from now. Uh, so that's, you know, for me, I'll, I'll re reserve like dot regear and I'll, re you know, issue domain names for each of my family members. Mm -hmm. um, so that'd be like a really cool thing. Because Are you going to sell them to them? You can make them pay you? I, I think I'll just give it to them as a freebie. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe some other ones. But, you know, those those are examples where it's like it, anyone can benefit from that, right? Because like who doesn't want their family name mm -hmm. as a TLD? Uh, and honestly, for some of like the really popular uh, family names, right? You imagine like Dot .lu. Yeah. Uh, there's like millions, like even like yep. million Dot .lus out there. So you can like, if you reserve that one, you start selling them. Uh, you know, you don't, the amazing thing with this is that normal TLDs take, cost millions of dollars to mm -hmm. register. Uh, first, there's a $200,000 application fee that you pay to ICANN basically for doing nothing. Yeah, it's absurd. Yeah, it sounds like a racket. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's like this like auction system. So it costs a lot of they money. They keep your 200 whether you win or not? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they've made like over 100 million off of like just application fees. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, but if you think about the cost, that basically what that means is it, it drastically limits the use cases of these CLDs, right? You mm -hmm. need to have a business model that can recoup that cost. However, for uh, handshake TLDs, you know, you can be registering a name. Maybe it'll cost ten thousand. Maybe it cost five thousand. It might even be uh, ten dollars, right? It's like mm -hmm. so. Uh, it's, it's just determined by the second highest price. And what that means is that if you register something like .lu, you could just be selling all those names for like fifty cents. If you sell it to you know hundred thousand .lu's, you just made like fifty thousand dollars. Yep. So uh, it basically just—it's really interesting thinking about all the things that you can do with these CLDs once you've uh, basically had the cost of acquiring them uh, and lowered it by multiple orders of magnitude. Um, and, and we'll get to see what people do with it. Joe and I both got brothers. Joe, we're gonna buy our last names, and then we're gonna—we're not giving them to our brothers for free. We're gonna make <laughs> them fucking pay us. <laughs> awesome, man. All right, before we wrap up, I ask rapid fire questions. What is the most important company in crypto outside of Namebase or Handshake? I think Square Crypto is pretty interesting. Why? Um, they are introducing a lot of consumers to crypto. Uh, Square Cash is like immensely popular, mm -hmm. uh, and I think they're. I, I have to read the report again, but like they're selling a lot of Bitcoin actually through. Oh yeah, Square Cash. hundred plus million dollars a quarter. Yeah, and they they I'm really get. Sure. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, I think I think so. And they get they like understand consumers, mm -hmm. uh, right? Like you, if you see their Twitter, like they're really good at like memes and all that. And I, I think honestly that's like how things spread today. Um. Although I mean I'm I'm personally very bullish on Handshake. I think a year from now, most of the people using Handshake won't even know that it's powered by a blockchain. They'll just realize that their internet experience is, is uh, better effectively and uh, more rich and more broad. Um, so I think Handshake is probably the most exciting thing. But if I wasn't looking at that, I would say Square Crypto is pretty interesting. What's the one regulation or law you would improve or change if you could? 
Yeah, I think the money transmitter laws are pretty, uh, and also like the bit license, like mm-hmm. that entire uh, suite of reg- regulation. Um, there's a reason why it exists, and it's good for some sort of that to exist, but it also is drastically limiting uh, because the MTL laws also apply for uh, virtual currency to virtual currency transactions, uh, and that basically just uh, immensely limits what companies can do. Uh, it's a huge hurdle, and uh, other countries in the world don't have these laws. And so these other countries and uh, citizens are getting access to this new technology that's really easy uh, and, and amazing for them. But in the U.S., it uh, takes an immense amount of capital to even get started and navigate that. Um, so that I think that changing would open up a lot of interesting business models, uh, or even like you know uh, cloud wallets or custodial solutions that would make crypto much more adopted uh, that right now is being limited. What is your most controversial thought in all of crypto? Like something you believe that everyone else would disagree with you on? Hmm. I think maybe not so much a controversial thought, but in terms of what I have conviction around, Mm -hmm. I have conviction around uh, Bitcoin and I have conviction around Handshake. I don't have conviction around anything else uh, in the space. And that's not to say, uh, that's not to say that those things won't succeed, right? I think, as, as I mentioned, like the history of Silicon Valley is people thinking of new technologies as toys that'll never go anywhere, or they don't, they, they like laugh at it, and then it ends up, you know, eating the world, right? And everyone, and everyone ends up using it. So when I don't have conviction in something, it's not to say, oh, I don't think, I think, I think it will not succeed. It's just that I don't have conviction that it will succeed, and, and I don't have my belief in that. Uh, so I think that that is pretty um, non-standard of just having only conviction in those two things. What's the most important book you've ever read? Oh, there are many. I don't. I don't think there's a single book that I could say is the most. All right, important. What are like some of the top? What ones? are the few? Um, let's see. I love reading stories about how companies got started. Mm-hmm. So, uh, founding sort of eBay, um, the uh, the perfect store. Uh, founding sort of Amazon, the everything store. Uh, founding story of Walmart, uh, Sam Walton made in America. Those are all really good books. Uh, Nike's Nike founders, uh, shoe dog. Yep, those are really good. Night, yep. Yeah. And, and I think the reason why those books are important to me is because, uh, as an entrepreneur, it's really, uh, hard sometimes, right? Because you have all this, all these bad things happening all the time. You have to deal with it. <laughs> and it's really hard to see like the light forward. Yep. Um, and then, so reading those stories, you also get to see, Oh, like those people went through situations like far worse than I'm experiencing, and they were able to persevere and come out on top. Um, that has been uh, that basically just helping to build my own conviction is is phenomenal. The other book that's really good is uh, the Courage to Be Disliked. Um, it's it's kind of like a philosophical book. Uh, I, I I like reading like philosophy and yep. um, you know, very good. I read it. Yeah, yeah. it was very very good. Yeah, uh, that would be a good book to recommend as well. Aliens, believer, non-believer. Uh, yeah, believer. Why? Um, I think in some form, right? I don't think it's like humans like us or like, you know, sen- sentient beating. That would be wild if there was other fucking humans out there and we didn't know about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I've asked that question over 200 people. No one said that yet. Oh, really? <laughs> like, what if there was other humans? Yeah. I mean, have you read the... Um, that would was be that? fucking crazy. Have you read uh, The Three-Body Problem? Uh, that sounds familiar. What, what it was, is it about? It was this like sci-fi book by Cixin Sin Liu. Uh, it's like a Chinese sci-fi book, but it like was... No, somebody spread. told me I haven't read it yet. No, yeah. no, no. So, I, I forget who it was, but somebody I think told me to read this book. That's why it sounds familiar. That it's it's a very good uh, book, and it really explores the implications of if there are other sentient beings, uh, what would happen? Um, not not really good outcomes actually, <laughs> but uh, that that's a pretty good book. But yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I haven't really researched too much about like aliens and all that, so I, I wouldn't be able to say. But I think there's probably like at least some sort of life form yeah. floating around somewhere. So like. That's definitely my feeling is like if there's going to be contact made, we want to be on offense, not defense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Like for sure, that's a pretty scary uh, idea of like us being the ones that are uh, what is it? Independence Day where the aliens like like, there's like coming out of the sky. Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. Right. We're going (laughs) to run inside and hide. (laughs) Um, All right. What uh, what one question do you have for me to uh, to finish this up? Yeah. What uh, what domains are you going to be bidding on? I don't know if I want to tell people. <laughs> I feel like that kind of fucks it up. Yeah, you might want to keep it quiet, actually. Um, no, I mean, like, there's, uh, I would say that there's probably uh, really obvious ones, like, it'd be awesome to own, you know, dot Bitcoin, right? Uh, dot crypto, those types of things. Um, I'm assuming that there's not the, like, dot 
Google's dot Facebook's uh, domains, but uh, if yeah. there were, like, I'm sure people will definitely want to grab those to basically screw around with the uh, the internet giants. Yeah, the, actually, the top 100,000 uh, Alexa domains are already pre-reserved for those companies. Oh, okay. yeah, and okay. actually, that's another conviction point, uh, yep. which is that, like, if you make it difficult for those companies to adopt uh, when they already own those trademarks, then yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. not very going to okay. go anywhere. But every other name you can still get. So, Dot Crypto is actually one of them that you can get. Got it. Okay. Um, and then uh, there's always like the personalized ones that I think people would want. And then actually, I think that there's um, th- there's a pretty interesting thing around uh, if people look at this as like a revenue opportunity, right? You know, where's the world going and kind of what domains fit into that? Well, one of the best stories uh, that I've heard recently about a domain name. Um, so a, a friend of mine, uh, Brent Bishore, uh, he was having a conversation with um, a, a friend of his, uh, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, and uh, they used the term uh, permanent equity a few times. And uh, Patrick went home and he bought the domain. Well, Brent just changed the name of his firm from Adventures to Permanent Equity. Mm. He now has permanentequity.com because Patrick had the foresight to go and buy it, yeah. right? And he just gave it to Brent. And so it's... Uh, it's pretty interesting how like even in the kind of centralized traditional world, how important URLs are yeah. right, in these domains. Um, and so when you think about that from a top level domain or a second level domain standpoint, uh, if there is this new namespace, um, you know, it's a pretty important thing for people to uh, to kind of take seriously and, and pay attention to. Yeah. I mean, the existing domain name industry is worth uh, tens of billions uh, of dollars. Um, and this people is don't realize new- how much money like I think like GoDaddy makes like two or four billion dollars a year yeah it's like a stupid amount of money that they make like (laughs) your 1099 purchase of you know whatever stupid.com or dot org or whatever they made four billion dollars last or something like that yeah yeah so i I mean it's it's an interesting thing and i I think what's cool is like handshake democratizing that economy and allowing anyone to participate uh and basically start their own business and and do all that uh it doesn't need to be this uh, this obscure thing that a few participants are benefiting from Mm -hmm. right now you know everyone can go and do it uh so that's really personally very exciting Awesome, man. Well, listen, where can uh, where can people find you and find uh, Namebase? Yeah, uh, we're on Twitter at NamebaseHQ. I'm on Twitter at TiashanR. Uh, Namebase.io is the place to go if you want to buy HNS or uh, buy handshake domain names. Uh, pretty much anything having to do with the handshake ecosystem and economy, we're going to try to build out infrastructure for. Uh, so that's a good place to go. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming to do this. We'll have to uh, do it again in a few weeks, maybe. Yeah, totally. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off The Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off The Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off The Chain.